Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Art vs. Commerce podcast. Look at this, two straight weeks, two episodes, it's like it's like actually doing it on and on and on. Um, feeling good about this week's episode, it is with Matt McLaughlin. I have been friends with this guy for a few years now and he, uh, it's funny when you're, you're, you're friends with people, I kind of had the same opening with the Diamond Brothers that you... You know people for a long time and you work with them, and but you still don't know their backstory because you just don't, I don't know, it's a long conversation, it's personal, and um, sometimes you just don't end up having it for a while. So I was really excited to sit down with Matt to actually kind of find out all these things that I have been uh, wondering, uh, especially because outside of the success that he has, he also is, he's a thinker, um, and he sees things from 10 miles up, and I think that that becomes abundantly clear in our discussion and also like the, the way in which he cares and the way in which um, he's one of those people that are trying to make the experience for everyone in this industry um, better. And, and feeling, um, I mentioned in the podcast, it was something that, that John Bragel uh, in the first episode touched on in, in terms of just not feeling respect and starting something on your own to feel, to feel that respect and to give it out to the people that you work with. Um, I think that, that that's a mentality that I think a lot of the people that we've had on the show so far are, are about. Uh, I think it's a, a new age thing uh, in terms of actually putting it to practice. Um, I'm sure everybody of all ages talks about wanting that, but actually making the changes in our workflow uh, um, for that to actually be a, a reality is something that doesn't happen everywhere. So I think it's, you, you can feel it. Um, the company that Matt co-owns now is called Acres. They had a they had a spring little party last night and I was there and there's there's that vibe. Like it is inclusive. It doesn't feel like the cool kids party. And so, you know, there's, it's those nuances that I think, um, really support people, inspire people. It's the best environment to do good work. And obviously once those things are in place, then the products speak for themselves and they're doing very well. Just some backstory, their biggest thing, uh, that really got acres going was that they took over the Bill de Blasio media campaign. Um, they were responsible for some of his most famous ads and uh, it's kind of been off to the races. After that, they, they do commercial work. They're also getting into web development series. And uh, basically, I think the sky's the limit in terms of not being backed into one genre. Uh, that's definitely something that I think Matt is constantly uh, working against. And it was really, really fan fantastic picking his brain. I think he, he speaks well. So you, you understand his thought processes well. And uh, that's obviously conducive to... Um, to any podcast, especially one that's talking about that balance between art and commerce, especially for a guy who is on the business owner side, the EP executive producer side, um, but someone with obviously um, great taste in work, great taste in people. I took a lot away, a lot away from it. So it was great having him on. Hope to have him on again sometime soon. And uh, yeah, here's Matt McLaughlin. I went to school. I went to school in uh, University of Vermont. I studied comparative religion. You studied comparative religion <laughs> yeah. in Vermont. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was a lot of fun. Did you have a plan? How does someone study comparative religion? Like, what is the goal of what was the goal of you and your peers when you graduated? <laughs> well, first of all, you know, I think in in the midst of school, I woke up from the the cloud that is the weed haze of Vermont and decided I wanted to study religion. And and in the midst of that, I um, <laughs> I. I 
think that I thought I might be a religion professor or something. I had no idea. You really? Know? But it, it captivated you that much. Were you religious or did, or did they just interest you? No, it was purely, it was really interesting for me because it was an interdisciplinary study. So we were, you know, studying religion through all these different lenses, you know, psychology, sociology, philosophy, economics, history, sometimes medicine. So for me, it was really interesting because honestly, I just didn't want to pick one way. And I, and I, and I never really trusted anyone's word as truth. And I felt like a lot of other, other majors were sort of like this, you know, this is how we look at things. This is the lens that we look at them. But all my professors were, you know, disagreeing with each other, telling us to figure out how we thought we should dissect these, you know, traditions and, and everything. So I loved it because it was complete freedom and it really taught me to go after what I wanted to and, and also learn as much as possible from everything I could around me. So Yeah, I mean, when you explain it that way... That could I could definitely see that being as beneficial as any college experience. Totally, and it and it's all encompassing. You know, like the study of religion or comparative religion for me was the study of how humans make meaning, um, how humans like create structures, put all these values into a system that allows them to sort of look at the world and and make sense of it all. So I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah, and at any point in those four years, were you getting inklings about film? No, not at all. Where'd the PA stuff come then? How long How long after you graduated did that start happening? Uh, so I moved to New York because um, I felt pulled towards the center of the world. Um, and, uh, happens to a lot of people. <laughs> and so once I moved here, my mother um, had actually been working at PBS for, I think, 30 years at the time in marketing. Wow. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll just do that. I'm going to I'm gonna go get a job. Why don't I just do uh, entertain, entertainment marketing? So when I moved here, it was the beginning of 2009, and the economy was still uh, not doing too fantastic. Yeah. And I was looking for jobs at a time when everyone was firing people. Yep. So I ended up getting an internship um, at a brand strategy firm, a very small one with, with an amazing uh, woman named Margaret Mark. I uh, started learning about brand strategy, which I think was, was definitely... An easy transition from the study of religion because it has to do with how people, you know, understand brands at a really high level and how that how that infrastructure is created from its from its base. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's like I don't know if that's a good comment about religion or a good comment about brands. <laughs> it, there's a comment in there somewhere. I think it's a good comment about human beings. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, you know, um, a good comment. A good comment. A positive comment. Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, obviously, like, there's different uh, opinions about religion itself. And I think that, obviously, like, on one of the spectrum, there's extremism, which is a little bit difficult to look at sometimes. And then on the other end, there's a, a lot of positives to, to those types of structures. And I think that I look at them less as, uh, like, you know, these things that just come out of thin air and more so as just human nature in terms of how to identify and and obviously make meaning out of the world. And, and so I think it's, it makes sense that you see, you know, a translation of some of those things into how we see the rest of the world. So, yeah. you know, brands are, or, you know, good, great brands um, have a very solid personality or are, are basically just really clear about what they are in a really basic way. Yeah. Are, would you consider their audience or the people that like their brand, their consu their consumer base? So is there a relationship that's similar to like worshippers of a religion? Do you think about that stuff, or is this like too deep into it? No, I do think about it. I don't think it's I don't think it's the same for worship is a strong word. Worship is a strong word. I mean, I can see that in other things like sports. 
Um, yeah. You know, other, 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 which is a brand. Yeah. Sports is a brand, but I think that identity ties into a lot of w- what is close to religion. And I think that identity as it pertains to brands sometimes has some crossover, but, but there's so many different brands that are less all encompassing. And I think that, you know, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to lie. Like I don't watch sports, but I think that following a sports team because it, it has some sort of like ge- geographical relation, like ties really strongly to people's identity and where they come from and Definitely. Who, who they think they are. But but in terms of brands, I can see sometimes that having a relation to religion, possibly more so as a result of like it's it's a family heritage to have worked for like a a, a plant in Detroit or something like that. Yeah. But it's more so that's internally. That's also like human structures and how yeah people exactly like connect and find that. Yeah, that's getting more into like you know. But that proves your your larger point that yeah. you've been making anyway. Totally. But that's like I would say that's an internal facing conversation as opposed to like an external like consumer facing conversation you mean like the conversation that you're having with your production company with brands about like what they're doing and how they should be thinking about it is that what you mean by internal internal is no internal more so like inside a brand like i could see inside a brand being more like close to what a religion might be like oh the people that work inside yeah sorry yeah the people people that work inside of it oh that's fascinating actually yeah i mean i you know i think any strong brand and i'm seeing this with a lot of like tech companies and newer companies that are starting now are really heavily tied to a mission. Yeah. A mission that's like uh, really big and can can very easily be tied to someone's identity in terms of what their personal mission is. Yeah, especially yes, yeah, I guess a lot of companies right now are they're trying to solve big problems. Yeah. Even if it's totally for their own profit. But like it's under the guise of we're profiting because we are we've made something that helps a lot of people. Yeah, it's it's like profit is secondary to the to their overarching mission. I mean, it's all it's always like that. Um, but even more so, I think that like a lot of these in the good ones. Yeah, in the good ones. In the ones that survive, I think. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Totally. Maybe. Yeah. I guess it's really case dependent. <laughs> yeah. But we got well, we went down a hole, but that was good. Um, so, <laughs> so you started at at this at this at this place. Yeah, at the branding consultancy, and from there I was so I was interning, but I got a lot of experience because it was just me and two major consultants. Oh, and that's it, great. Yeah, but it, you know at that time like I wasn't really making any money, and so of course I did something similar to most first New Yorkers, and I got a coffee shop job. Okay. <laughs> so I was a barista for a while. At the time, I was dating a girl who worked at Moxie Pictures. Okay. And she introduced me to some freelancers and I started PAing. So when when you saw those freelancers, was there something about their whole life and industry that what called to you about it? Honestly, it was like purely money and freedom at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I was like No, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, like being able to make $200 a day as a PA compared to like what I was making at a at a coffee shop was so much more attractive and and i also saw the opportunity to rise to a place where you know if you you climb up the any of these tracks and you're making a good amount of money and for me at the time like when everyone else in all these other industries were saying you know in, in the places where i thought i needed to go like in the full-time world that i that they weren't hiring anyone for me i was like oh shit look at this like not only am i going to make more money than i was at a coffee shop but i also seemingly have my own agency over being able to pull in more because it's so free-flowing and it seems so much like if you put there's no ceiling yeah exactly exactly and it it was very attractive and um at any when did you when you went into it did you have any idea what department you were interested in were you just more like trying to be a sponge i was definitely trying to be a sponge I always was. I still am. But at that point, I think that I decided I wanted to be a producer. Um, early? Yeah. Pretty early, yeah. 
what that's most people don't have that happen. Why do you think that happened with you? I think that I saw that I was good at understanding that level of the the production process mm. in terms of like how to get things done, how to create fail safes, how to like sort of look at everything that's happening and and push it all in a forward direction. So when you were seeing the directors working and the DP working, yeah. those aspects didn't appeal to you in terms of doing it yourself? No, not at first. I mean, honestly, you know, when I looked down the road that was the potential producer track, like I I think that I wanted to, to sort of like run things. Um, and I saw that EPs and, you know, that whole side of stuff was was the place to be in terms of well, doing I guess, Yeah, I mean, there's two ways of running things. There's running things on that side and there's yeah. running things from the directorial side. And right. the idea to run things, it just wasn't as attractive on the directorial side? No, I think... Because um, I'm always fascinated by people who... Yeah. Flock to the producing side because I just don't work that way. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm so curious as to how because I know that you you fucking love it <laughs> and and I and I'm kind of amazed by that. Well, the, you know, I I did love it. I don't really do as much of that side of stuff now as I did before. That well, the difference between producing and executive producing. Oh no, no yeah. is that what you're talking e- about? E- no, is even that- I don't even really. I don't even think I'm a great EP anymore. I'd say right now I'm more of an, a media strategist. Okay. Well, we'll get there. I want to. I let's 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 work slowly. But, yeah, of course. But um, obviously, uh, fascinating. Yeah. So, so you early on, and how did you how did you try and work your way towards that? If you were assessing that you wanted it. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I just hustled my ass off, and I saw how people like jumped up. I started like, PA. How they jump up? Um. Just by working hard and creating a name for themselves as the next step up. So you know, you go uh, PA, office PA production coordinator, production manager, producer, at least in the commercial track. Yeah. So I just was like, you know, I'm going to fucking learn <laughs> how to how to get there as fast as possible. So I found these, I found this producer and this PM who were based out of New Jersey and they were really nice people. And I basically was like, hey, look, I'm going to work for free if you teach me how to, how to be a production coordinator. How's that sound? And they're like, cool. How were you able to do that? financially were you also doing other stuff on the side or you had been saving up or living cheaply i'm just I, curious because that's a big jump to make it makes sense totally. but how did you manage it um well f- first of all when i moved to the city i always i decided i was gonna make decisions financially that kept me at the lowest financial responsibility possible so i was like i had an apartment that i paid 800 bucks a month for and i was eating a shit for those not in new york that's very low yes <laughs> <laughs> for everywhere else yeah. that's probably yeah, yeah. Uh, and I was eating a shitload of rice and beans and just like keeping, keeping it. I wanted to be able to take whatever risks I wanted to and not worry about any of that stuff. And so I kept all of my, you know, financial responsibilities extremely low or as low as, as who I instilled that in you? Like, where'd you learn that? I just, I don't know. I felt like it was a lo- logical decision. Yeah. But yeah. I, and I th- also think I saw a lot of people around me just ha- making decisions based off of needing to pay rent and doing all this other stuff. And I just didn't want to be in that place. Right. So you start working with them. I started working with them for free. I did. I did. What kind of work were you doing with them? Production coordinating. Um, of what kind of jobs? Oh, commercial, commercial, mostly commercials, uh, network promos or TV show promos, that kind of stuff. Um, union jobs? Non-union. Non-union. Most, yeah, mostly non-union. But still, like twenty people on a set, kind of. Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. Bigger, yeah. bigger gigs. Yep. So I was learning how to do that stuff. Uh, you know, like they'd pay me as a PA on the set days or whatever, but like they're definitely making a good a good sum off me, I'm sure, which was which is great for Free me. Free education, like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it goes both ways. 
So I learned from them for a while, and then uh, I started picking up gigs from other people, which meant that I started, you know, bumping up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I hustled my ass off, and at one point I was like, you know what, I want to... I think I get burned by a couple people, as you do in the freelance world. What happened that classified as a burn? I, had, I you know, I think, I think in the production world, or at least in the production circles that I was in, yeah. um, there wasn't the same kind of camaraderie that there were in other departments. You know, I had this, this one guy... Like the office side didn't have the camaraderie of like camera department. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I could see how that would happen. Not completely. I I don't, I think that I just wasn't in those circles because I was jumping so fast. Like I didn't have people who were like super tight. Were people maybe threatened by your eagerness as well? Or is that not, was that not a thing? Possibly. I think that it was more so just that like people needed, basically the thing that what happened to me was um, I'd be in these projects and like I'd get production coordinator, like lower production coordinator rates because I was like, I was new, you know, making a name for myself doing that stuff. You know, something would happen to a job, a producer needs to come under a certain amount on a budget. You know, I was just with some people who would just like book me then like not book me or whatever. They viewed you as expendable. Yeah, exactly. And I was just, you know, I sort of like, called people out and was like look i'm looking at all these other departments that have so much camaraderie and like why do i not have your back when i'm looking at everyone else who does yeah and i think that at that point i was like fuck this shit basically (laughs) you know and i started i yeah well what's interesting is that i think that a lot of the community that we're in right now yeah we all experienced that Mm -hmm. and it actually is the reason that places like acres or variable Mm -hmm. those things are existing because i mean i had a conversation sorry for the car horn outside i had this conversation with um bragel on the podcast where he was like i just wasn't feeling any love yeah and i wasn't feeling he's like not like i was trying to command some sort of crazy respect but i wasn't feeling any of it totally and it really bothered him yeah i mean that is definitely what happened to me as well. And I felt like I was constantly fighting for myself. And so I, you know, I looked around me and I was like, this is probably separate from that. But I was just like, I can do this shit. Like, I, you know, I can start a production company. You know, I want to start something that's unique and has a unique offering. How old were you when you were thinking that? 23. Um, yeah. And so at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to make fucking fashion films because I see that this shit's going to be like, I was like, this is going to blow up. You know, I'm, that was right I, around when the DSLR first came out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it when was. 5D finally like made a, an impact. Mm-hmm. At that point, I met uh, a young director named Shal No through a group of friends of mine. He was like, I was telling him what I do. Like, I'm a producer, I said, and like, I want to start a production company. And he was like, oh, I'm a director. I, you know, I direct fashion films. And I was like, dude, we should hang. We should talk. And so him and I met up and started talking about, you know, he wanted, he already thought about starting this production company. And so like we kind of partnered up and started Macula Films when we were both 23. Had no fucking idea what we were doing. I just kind of like faked it till I made it. What did I, yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah, I mean, of course. what did you, if you can recall, like what were your expectations and how were those like just brutally <laughs> beaten into the ground a little bit? Uh, Unless maybe you got a few things right. like Oh, you mean on the Macula side? Yeah, like, I mean, well, Actually, Justin, I mean, because you're going from having a somewhat successful freelance uh-huh. producing side career. I, I don't think that you were lead producing things. No, 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 I wasn't at all. And then you just jump right into it. Like, w- did you... What were your first couple of goals? How were you trying to be a company? Like, yeah. did you have an office space or were you just a name? Like, what, what was... How'd you try and make that a a reality? Well, at first it was an idea, right? And then it became a reality when Shal had done a video for Dockers, khaki company. They gave us a call. Actually, their ad agency, DraftFCB, gave us a call because they wanted to to shoot six um, 
digital videos and you know Xiao called me and he had no idea any of that structure I had I had gone through all that stuff but he was basically straight out of film school like just doing like small fashion films and stuff and I was like holy shit we got our first fucking break like let's let's get after this and so it went from being an idea to a, a reality super quick and we you know I basically at that point had to like had soaked up all this knowledge and seen all this shit around me on the freelance side and was just like all right cool like i know we need these things you know like insurance to rent equipment but like in, in order to get insurance you need an llc and so like i was just running around trying to create all the things that i needed to get to that point to show face and cre- honestly just to shoot a video so it's even like when you guys decided that you were going to be a company that didn't mean that you went and formed an llc you waited until like that it needed to happen and you were like oh shit we need we need yeah this. basically yeah <laughs> basically sounds like a, a mixture of fun with some anxiety oh yeah it's always full of anxiety and fun but you didn't feel did you ever feel overwhelmed in the beginning or did you feel like oh no like you know i can do this i just need to figure it out i've always felt like i could do it and figure it out yeah and, and a level of over like the way that i react to things that feel overwhelming or like insane pressure like in the moment in the shoots like i love being on set in the beginning because under pressure i'm really calm and i'm really good at like making decisive moves mm. but under massive pressure like it kind of drives me i see this like point where i could fold or i could buckle down and like push through and do whatever it takes to make it happen and i love the latter i love fucking like pushing after the impossible like that's my drug for sure so that was basically what that Docker's opportunity was. And what ended up happening was, I think that they had thought Shaw was going to show up with a 5D or something. And, and you guys blew it out of the water? Yeah, we brought like six of his like film school stu- friends and, and I showed up and we started shooting this stuff. It was like one of those things where we had to shoot on the back end of a photographer's set. So, you know, we were getting, he was getting like three hours, we were getting like 30 minutes or like an hour. Mm-hmm. So we shot two films a day over the course of three days. And, you know, as we were shooting, the clients were like, oh, like, you know, because it was five D's were new and they were like, this stuff looks good. Like, can, can this go on TV? You know, and we're like, yeah, of course it can. Totally. You know, I had no idea what the fuck I was talking about. <laughs> and so we get home and like, I mean, it could. Yeah. You, yeah. you were lucky that you lied correctly. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just figured it out. Like, so we get home, we start cutting and they're like, man, you know, like this stuff is really good. Like you guys can capture some really great stuff. It also, just as a side note, it was, it was one of the first, uh, they were, so one of the first campaigns that was doing docu-style commercials where the brand was more in the background and it was more about the story. It was more about like the, the docu-story. Lucky that you got in right at the start of that. Yeah, totally. I had no, I, I like, I was just like, this is great. We're doing a commercial. You well, know? it's right place right time totally and exactly. not botching it exactly but i think you know shall on the other hand was like just extremely excited and killing it he's extremely talented um so in any case we were editing these things and on the client side they had shown you know at the same time they were shooting these six um digital videos they dockers and the and the agency were off shooting a half million dollar spot for um the Super Bowl pregame and the NBA finals and they saw our footage and the CMO was basically like I like this stuff better than the, the shit you just shot over there <laughs> so we chopped up these things into 30s and made fucking Super Bowl, pregame Super Bowl spot and these NBA final spots is our first gig which is crazy you know wow yeah it was awesome wow what was the response what happened because of that well basically what happened was I was like damn we made it we're fucking famous now you know <laughs> like this is dope and then, and then I was like, why isn't anyone calling me? <laughs> like, what? Like, how does, like, how does this agency not call me for, like, every spot they have, you know? I didn't know anything. And so then I basically realized, like... It's a reasonable thing to expect. Yeah, it totally is, I think. But that's Especially a, at your knowledge level at that time. Totally. Yeah. 
But I think at that point, obviously, hadn't understood very much at all about that that side of the business. Yeah. And so there was a, an executive producer on the agency side, Scott Mitchell, who's like one of the best producers on that side of the business ever. And he was amazing and ended up bringing us back in to work on a Sharpie campaign later that year. But in the midst of all that that time of our business, like I was basically trying to figure out like how do we get work? And it's been a while, but I think I pretty much just like reached out to everyone I knew and started telling everyone what we were doing and just tried to figure out like, how do we get business basically? Well, yeah, because I got to imagine that, you know, the first week after you felt great, second week, little decline, third week, (laughs) like what, what was that emotional ride? I mean, it just, I was pissed, you know, like I was like, why aren't people paying attention to us? Like, why aren't people calling us? You know, I thought we did something great. And even more so from a business standpoint, I felt like we, we were making an insanely high level product for like nothing. Right. Yeah. So, which was fine for me because I was so young. I was 23. So I was like, I don't care. Call me. I'll do whatever you need. You know? Yeah. You're in that position to disrupt. Yeah, exactly. But I don't think that the industry was particularly in a, pl- in a place to recognize that at the time. And I don't think that what we were making, I think what we we're making was newer and interesting, but I don't think that it was like the kind of thing that's as innovative and kind of blows up in the same way that some, someone might see it and it gets picked up in you know, a bigger production company or like other agencies or stuff, something like that. Right. And they also probably have PR wings and they're, they're constantly hounding for more work and, and letting, yeah. you, you know, you you guys were just exactly so i continued to honestly freelance as a pa on the side sometimes production coordinate and you didn't f- good on you for not feeling like it was below you i mean because yeah no you're, you're making a face like well of course it wasn't but you know you just had like you just made super bowl spots and, yeah. and nba final spots i mean there were times brand. i'm not gonna lie there were times and i was like you know this sucks like i'm sick i honestly there were times because i would like I think when I had to drive the truck to PA, <laughs> yeah. that was when I was like, you know, eating, what eating the fuck? Shit, yeah. yeah, basically. But uh, it's pro- it was probably better for your evolution. Yeah, it was, man. Like, I definitely... Some like, humble pie is a good thing. Hell yeah. Humble pie is the shit. Like, <laughs> I'll eat the fuck out of some humble pie. <laughs> um, so, in any case, basically, over the course of the next, I don't know, I think two to three years, mm. I taught myself how to EP started creating relationships with people shall became better and better as a director ep executive producing yes and how would you define that difference between producing um i i think basically it, it involves a lot more relationships and and sort of that translation between you know dealing with two clients your agency and your and your brand and the production and bringing all those things together including like creating new relationships and developing talent i mean at that time it was just shall and i and we weren't developing new director talent um but i started to learn a lot about all of that side of the business yeah yeah and you were enjoying it yeah were you enjoying switching from uh, more because i guess just for people out there that producing is more in the trenches every day and the ep is like top level you know seeing seeing the wider thing yeah you were enjoying being in that position versus the everyday run i was uh up until the point what ended up happening was you know we were still we were getting more business but and like creating creating a living for ourselves solely off of the the business at that point but i definitely had aspirations for it to be something much bigger you know to like grow a, a bigger firm and like pull in more people and do that kind of thing what did you want um at that point i think what what i wanted to was to create a bigger production company you know to represent multiple directors and be be that kind of thing and this current scenario couldn't have grown i think that we didn't necessarily know how to at that point mm. I ended up 
getting Shal signed to uh, Michael Bay's production company in LA called The Institute because I felt like, okay, well, we can get a leg up here, you know, use, utilize their experience and their sales efforts to, to like pull in more work, build a reel and bring that value back to, to Macula, um, which was non-union, the Institute was union. So I felt like, okay, cool. Like we can have, we can still pull our jobs through or whatever. But what ended up happening was obviously I wasn't the talent Shao was. And so they, they took a lot more control over the situation and it kind of brought me to a place where I felt a little bit powerless. And in addition to the, the powerlessness I felt as a result of that, I also really missed what I was doing when I was, when I was on the brand strategy side. Like I really felt like I wasn't getting that kind of intellectual stimulation that I was in the beginning. So I ended up leaving and going, and going to, to look for an uh, agency or client-side job. Yeah. I left and actually ended up winding up as a marketing manager at Ralph Lauren for a little bit. And you were happy with that? <laughs> I, I was ex- really excited about it. Um, what excited you? What excited me was that I could, honestly, there were two things. One thing was jumping up the ladder in terms of the flow of money. Yeah. Like I love the idea of like being up, seemingly above um, in that chain, you know, the agencies that I worked with and like the other production companies I competed with. It, it was definitely something that really excited me and I felt like I could be a part of what I had missed from the past, you know, brand strategy or at least like this higher understanding of like where the decisions are made and how they're made. Yeah. Um, the problem was at that point I had been completely spoiled and, and trained to communicate with people in the way that we do on the freelance side, which is, which is very direct, super fast paced. And um, that just doesn't really exist on the corporate side, especially at a corporation as big as Ralph Lauren. Right. And so I, yeah, yeah. No, they're, they're massive cruise liners that take, you know, 20 miles to turn. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, I was, I was on a newer brand there needed to pick up and learn really fast. And I felt like the people around me didn't really, it had already been ingrained in terms of like how this communication process worked for them. And I think to, to teach me in their mind probably would have taken too much time to, to get there. So yeah. I, I actually, I don't think they would say this, but like in their, in their most HR of ways, they fired me for sure. <laughs> how long were you there until that happened? I think I was there for three or four months. Yeah. How'd that feel? It really sucked actually. I mean, where was the disappointment based in? Honestly, the disappointment was in the people that had, I didn't want to disappoint the people that brought me in. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, I didn't really care about like being let go, but it was more so like I cared a lot about the people that I worked for. and The, the relationships. Pe- yeah, exactly. Did you, were they upset? I'm sure they were, but they didn't, in a corporation, there's not really a lot of it, But you're saying that it, it wasn't from you necessarily slacking. It was that they didn't want to teach you. I mean, that's, that's my point of view. I'm sure from their point of view, they're like, why the fuck isn't this? Because you never come, like in all of this, you certainly, one, the one thing that you don't sound like is a slacker. No, I'm definitely not a slacker. So then where, what do you? Th- I, I think that there was so much work being done that I think that, I think they didn't have time to teach me those things because that was, you know, that was something I think they all had assumed was a given, right? Like I, I understood everything that was happening. I learned so much by being there. Honestly, I don't feel like I was empowered in the way that I needed to be to, to get and to bring my value to the table. Yeah, so I mean, did, there must have been a feeling. Was there like relief as well when you were cut loose? Um, yeah, there definitely was a bit of relief for sure. Where'd you think you were headed? After that? Yeah. Um, I went back to, to go hustle with Shell um, and start to try and, you know, make Macula a thing. Again? Again. Because, yes. I mean, it sounded like it was 
very much a thing. It was like... We can have different definitions of what a thing yeah, is. It was a thing. It was a thing, for yeah. sure. And so at that point, you know, we started hustling again. I was still like freelancing on the side. And a buddy of ours, uh, Andrew Simkis, called me and was like, yo, I need you to... Can you produce this thing for me? I've got a freelance job. Because he had a similar company to, to Macula. He called Cool Rob. Um, it was about the same size, and he had this project for Pfizer that he needed producing. And so I came in, freelanced for him. And while I was there working with him, we were just talking. We were like talking about the state of the business and the industry, what we felt like was changing, what we felt like was really wrong with everything, and what we wanted to see as being, you know, the next steps and the evolution of our of our business. What ended up happening... You kind of met at a great time. Yeah, we did meet you were, at a great you were, time. You were both in the same mental space? Yeah, he had just had, he had had a few partners that went separate ways, and him him and I were... You guys of, are the relative same age? Yeah, exact same age, yeah. Um, when was this conversation happening for you guys? What age? This was happening at the end of 2012, so we were... 25? Yeah, 25. There you go. Yeah, thanks. So yeah, we decided uh, at the end of that year that we were going to like him and I were going to start uh, a company and what we wanted to be was I guess some blend between an agency and a production company pretty, pretty I guess it's become more common now that yeah. might have been at the beginning of that which is kind of interesting that you were unknowingly at the beginning of docu style branded content and then so I don't know if it was unknowing or whatever but agency production company kind of mix well the the just docu- handling more and I think it's because we all started to we all came from a world where it was like, it makes more sense if we consolidate a few things. Like, yeah. Like that the new way forward is a little different. Totally. Well, I felt like, I just felt like the process from all ends of the spectrum was costing too much money mm. and the product out of the, that process was not at the level that I felt like it could have been. And I also felt like the efficacy of the product could have been much, much higher, especially as a result of the, the changing landscape that is the internet yeah. uh, and, and our access to information. I knew that, in, Andrew and I knew that if we had started to start um, create this kind of new entity and start creating a new kind of work that's becoming more and more common these days, that we could be at the forefront and create a brand for ourselves that was there to pick up the flow of money when it moved from you know traditional buys on TV and like traditional buys on the web to this newer digital content that's starting to pour into our world. And so I'm sure that... Um Andrew had the same same type of experience with Cool Rob that he's coming out of it with a lot of thoughts that you had as yeah. well with yours. What do you think were the marked differences in terms of when you started Acres that because that, that would be the company that you guys started yeah. together? Well, like what what do you, what how did you approach it differently based on your your experiences in your two companies prior? Well, I think I think to answer that question, you kind of have to look at the differences between Andrew and I. He's like in another life, he should have been like a lawyer. Like he's so. Uh, he has such high attention to detail and a really strong understanding of business in a, in a very smart way. Um, Always helpful. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, when I was like faking it till I made it, like he, he knew he was doing far from that and like covering every base, basically. Mm. And so honestly, it was the perfect match because while he was able to set things up in the best way possible, I was able to free my mind from that side of the spectrum and just be completely like high level strategy and, and vision oriented. Um, and he, he's there as well. I just, I think that like 
uh, we just complement each other and, and, you know, we're complete opposites with a common mission, which is, you know, which was Acres. I mean, that's a massive benefit. Like, I, oh, yeah. like, it just can't be understated that, you know, you guys filled each other's, not weaknesses, but, you know, there were things that you guys had strengths and they were different. Totally. I mean, the way that I look at it is we filter every decision that's made through as, you know, if we're filtering it through every, like the opposite ends of the spectrum, at least making decisions with two people, it's probably as objective as we could, we could make them. Right. For me, it was something that was really great. And I love, I don't know, I love having someone fight me on things or prove me wrong because I, I, at the end of the day, want to be the best and I want to, to create the best company. And so for me, it's not a matter of being right. It's about being, well, it's not about my opinion being right. It's about bringing everything together to be the best and be right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, when you guys started, how did it, did it get off? Was the start rocky? Was it, was it solid? What, what happened? Well, it was, it was much better than the start of Macula because we had both been in a place of... Underst- you formed an LLC without needing to be prompted. <laughs> yeah, actually, we filmed it first this time. And then, you know, we had both had contacts from, from our past and were able to, to build up, you know, like definitely better than what we had had in the past between our two separate entities. And it was good. You know, we, we like made a couple of great spots. Shao was... We represented Shao as our only director for the first year. And we just started bringing in business, making, starting to make a name for ourselves. Yeah, it was really good. I think, um, I think something to mention though, prior to this is that, you know, we had, we decided we were going to create this new entity, this new type of business to some extent. And, you know, we had this, the reason we came up with Acres was because, you know, when I was doing brand strategy, um, I was very keen on, on creating a personality, creating a brand, and so f- for us, you know, I, I, without getting too deep into it, like I had learned in the brand strategy firm to use um, archetypes. You know, um, Young, Carl Jung has this whole theory about archetypes and about how we categorize information. And so his, you know, this, this theory in terms of branding is that if you align yourself to one of these archetypes, it makes it easier for consumers to, to connect and identify with you because it's a consolidated message that's um, already mm-hmm. pre-aligned with the way that we, we organize stuff. So I chose the Explorer brand because I felt like the through line between Andrew and I was that um, we we're both authentic guys and love love experiencing new things, traveling, traveling, and and kind of creating things that are are right and seeing the things that are right in this world. So it you know at my core, like the thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that I when I was getting into brand strategy, PAing all that stuff, like. It was very important for me to, to have some sort of meaning at the end of all this. And I always wanted to eventually master the art of communications and use it to create, create a better world and create some sort of social impact. And so this was always something that was kind of underlyingly pushing me forward mm. and also always in the back of my mind. Well, because I, I was going to say that, you know, I, I don't know how you would define the work that you guys do, but yeah. obviously there's political work that you do. Yeah. Um, you know, notably taking over the de Blasio campaign. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that commercial with his son probably got him the, the election. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I, maybe, maybe I'm wrong and, or a strategist would, political people would disagree, but from where I sat, that's what <laughs> it felt like that. And then... There are know, a lot of people and, involved, but... I'm sure. Were you going in... When you guys started this, was there political content aspirations? How did no. that How did that start? Honestly, what happened was I had a really strong interest, obviously, in, in doing some sort of social impact work. We hadn't done any at the time. And I met through a friend, the digital director of de Blasio's campaign. 
you know, it was like, we met at a bar and she was, I was like, what do you do? You know? And she's like, Oh, I'm the digital director for this guy, Bill de Blasio. And I was like, who the fuck is Bill de Blasio? Like, <laughs> you know? And, I, <laughs> and my, my really good buddy was like, he's amazing. He's like, he's extremely liberal. He's all about equality. And, and if, if he wins, he's definitely the underdog, but he's going to make the city a, a better place. And so I was thinking, damn, like maybe I have a chance to work on something that will have an actual impact, you know? And Was that like the first time that that underpinning that had been driving you for years where you're like, oh, like there's finally an opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I I went after it, you know, like yeah. um, they had nothing, like they had no money for digital videos and we just, they had like 800 bucks for our first video and I was like, I don't give a fuck, like we're going to you know, we're going to fucking crush this shit. And so I basically was like giving them insights into, you know, the things that I had learned on the commercial side and decided that like the parts about de Blasio's story that were really interesting hadn't been told and we needed to do something like we'd been doing on the commercial side, which is more so a longer format docu piece. And so we interviewed him and then, you know, shot all this B-roll and talked about his, his story. Yeah. Um, and that, I think. story is what won him. Yeah, he, for sure. He had an amazing story, and I think it really aligned with his with his um, comm strategy, and 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 it, the, you know his continued comm strategy. Would you say that this was to date for Acres the the most important thing, or were there other things going on as well? At that point, yeah, it was it was the most important thing? I think when he won, yeah, was this another? Did you have the kind of feeling like you did when you got the Super Bowl commercial, and you were and like a part of you? was thinking, here we go, but another part remembered what happened and you were like, you know, there's no guarantee. How did you deal with what must have felt like a big opportunity to seize? I think I was a little bit more apprehensive about, you know, considering this uh, a success in the sense that it would bring me, you know, a lot more business. What I did get out of it was was realizing that, like, my dream and my mission could be fulfilled a lot sooner than I thought. Mm. I thought I was going to be in, like, my 40s before I could start trying to you know start making an impact but what this gave me was like hey matt you can change the world and like this is you know this is a, a evidence that you can and so from there we started doing a lot of uh non-profit work and public policy work that like opened the floodgates yeah it really opened the floodgates was there a light bulb for you that you should just be doing that kind of content because i guess you hadn't been doing it before no because unfortunately it doesn't really pay the bills no it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> so we were always hustling uh consumer business well as long as, if you can keep a healthy balance of both then you can do both yeah which was which is sort of where we've been at but at the end of the day what i did was leverage those things into either world so like i utilized the work that we had done with de blasio and within the campaign had found some opportunities to create the kind of work that i really wanted to creatively um, and utilize that stuff in the commercial world in order to show our ability to execute and, and like our creative They influence value. both. Totally. On the creative side, but then also it sounds like the business side too. Oh yeah, definitely. And at this time, I know that Acres was growing. Yeah. How'd you navigate that? How did I navigate the growth? Yeah. Because um, I think growth is where people get tripped up. Yeah, I think, well, honestly, on the growth side, it, it grew, but only as a result of, you know, basically we hit, we hit a threshold, right? Like we had had existing relationships with people, you know, we knew that we could create a certain level of business, but, you know, everyone, everyone looks for some sort of sales agent or representative or something to pull in more work. Like, you know, you always like see all this stuff around, you see the big companies and they yeah. all have reps and stuff. Yep. And, you know, we knew that no one was going to pick us up unless we had a lot of business. And I knew that no one was going to do it except for me. So I just hit the streets like a fucking madman. <laughs> I like, I like. Was it another 
faking till you're making it because that's a whole other skill set, I would imagine. Or not skill set, but a whole other utilization of like what you're good at. Yeah, totally. I mean, I just... Is there a learning curve? Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. I <laughs> that's, that's my point. Yeah, I, you know, like I'm not someone who works a party. Like I don't go around like... Are you sure about that? I've worked my parties. I, yeah, <laughs> I saw you last night working. <laughs> but I know everyone. But like, I I'm, I'm, I'm like somewhat shy when it comes to like, you know, re- like reaching out to the unknown, I think. And so what I, what I knew my strength was, was one-on-one conversations. And so I literally just set up as many meetings as possible every day and went out every single night for like a year and a half. Wow. It was pretty, yeah, it was definitely a, a haze for sure. You know, what was your like distinct intention? I know like, you know, short answer, get business, but yeah. what were you trying to do in those? Cause everybody tries to have meetings yeah. like what, and that's just such a blase. Yeah. Hey, let's have a meeting. Like what, what were you trying to actually achieve when you spoke to them? I just wanted to create a connection with someone mm. um, and learn and getting business would be awesome. And I, you know, definitely have learned along the way about how to ask for that and how to, how to get it. Um, but to be completely honest with you, like when I'm sitting down with someone, um, I really just want to learn about them and share who I am and just connect. Great. Like not connect on like a networking level, but like an no, emotional no, no, level. No, 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 on an actual human level. No, yeah. no, I get it. Um, I was, I was, I'm not surprised by that answer. But I think that that's why it's been working. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, cause like, in all honesty, that's your art. Yeah. Cause in the same way, like, that's what a director, that's what Chow, that's what any director is trying to do. Yeah. Um, with the content that they're making. And this is your realm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I love, you know, it, it's funny because I don't, I don't really love, I didn't love going out every night. Like, that was kind of fun at first, but it really just drove me mad after a while. I could see that turning into a, it's a job. Yeah, totally. And um, honestly, I'm not always a, the biggest fan of like uh, hanging out with people in our industry because I, I don't I like to meet new types of people and do a lot. It can of be stuff. an echo chamber. Yeah. Um, so it got pretty tough. Uh, but what I realized was, you know, I think after like a year and a half or so, I realized that I was getting something else out of this that I that I hadn't understood in the beginning, um, which wasn't just relationships or um, you know, potential business, or even just connecting with people, it was information. And hmm. like what kind? Everything, you know, like there's, there's a map in my head of the world and of the industry and of all business. And it's slowly pieced together as a result of like every conversation I have. And so, you know, I think that this is another conversation, but like, you know, you, sometimes you meet people who like won't give you the time of day because, you know, you're like a PA or like yeah. whatever, right? Like, and I'm, I'm not saying that I ha- always have the time to meet with those types of people, but there's an extreme value to meeting with everyone. And there, as a result of that, I mean, I could piece together what a, what a bigger company is doing just by talking to like people at every level of the spectrum. In uh, that company? No, like in, in the production business, in the agency business, you know, just talking to people about what they're working on, yeah. what's happening, you know, all that stuff. And in addition to that, even more so that I think is more interesting outside of the business stuff is really just learning how humans react to the world around them and content and the types of stuff that we're working on in the business. Like my biggest it's interest. It's so funny. I, I, I'm sitting here. When you said that you studied adaptive 
what was comparative it? religion comparative comparative religion i was like yeah he t- took a u-turn <laughs> but you didn't no definitely not. at all like not even like i know that you didn't mean for it to all pan out this way but maybe it was inevitable because like the connections in terms of just structures yeah because what you're talking about is understanding structures yeah basically value system structures like the the w- the way that people make decisions and why yeah yeah well b- before we get into the last part um because as acres is growing like you were also adding to your roster yeah what was that process like what are you looking for in a director how do you do that so i think for the most part the general experience that i had had with talent or like directorial talent was like people who had very little experience um, in terms of like commercial work mm-hmm and I felt like I wanted to create a new type of business, not just in the sense of like what, what our offering is, but also our culture. And I really love the idea that we, you know, as a result of growing slowly, but also the people we picked were more of a family. Certainly feels that way. Yeah, exactly. So uh, an inclusive family. Like I don't want to feel like we're uh, pushing anyone out or like anything like that. So all the, the talent that I've sought out has been a result of finding people that I think are good people and authentic and real and that mm-hmm. I connect with on a on a human level and that are exceptionally talented and have something new to say in terms of how they're executing their work. You know, we, I think that, yeah, the next director that we picked up was Jake Olson and Jake, I met through a, um, uh, agency producer friend and I just really liked him and, and liked a couple of the pieces that he had done. And we had, had some nonprofit work that we, we needed to be shot and had him shoot it. You know, it was like so low budget and, yeah. And he came back with something that made me fucking cry. He and did I, the Dockers thing. No, no, he, he, like, it, like the idea of, of, of a oh, yeah. thing and just throwing yeah. stuff out of it. I mean, I still watch that thing and like get chalk, you know, teared up. But I was like, this is someone who has uh, an exceptional voice and like I want to help build that and, and facilitate it. And There must uh, be something fulfilling in when you recognize that and have like a platform to assist. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's fucking awesome. Like, <laughs> like uh, this world right now for directors is so tough. Yes. Like, it sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get picked up in the same way that you used to. And I felt like maybe I could bring a little bit of that back to what we have started. You know, I didn't. I don't want our directors to, like, essentially, like, have to worry about much more than just being the best versions of themselves, you know? Creating, uh, accelerating their voice, making themselves better, pushing themselves to be better, you know? Yeah. That environment is where it actually happens. Yeah, exactly. And and the the amazing thing about about Jake is that that guy, you know, I, I mean, I push myself super hard, but to see him do it equally as hard, if not harder, was like just you know to see that come out was like, damn, I pick someone great, I think, and I and I feel like I'd I'd have him over any like massive commercial director any day because. I think what, what Jake is, is at least what I know Jake to be, is like a truly good person at, at his core and at his heart. And his intentions are good. And he's someone who's willing to work his ass off to be the best person and the best director possible. And that, for me, is more valuable than any real or like client relationship or anything like that. Because I know that at the end of the day, like all the variables that are surrounding me, it doesn't really matter because that the essence of who he is is always going to push past all those things. Mm. And also I think maybe more established places at a certain point are, and I could be wrong, but they're rely, like they're, they're relying on their roster to get the work. And I don't think you're ever, you're just, you're constantly relying on yourself yeah. to get the work. And maybe that's like a, 
slight difference in mentality that provides you that freedom? Yeah, we we wanted we always set out to create a brand. Like we wanted to create an Acres brand and not necessarily a roster. Because and that allowed us to pick up new talent that hadn't been recognized before because we could bring value back to them and sort of sell through projects as a result of our brand as opposed to to their experience. And so then instead of, you know, this is this is a, another really long conversation, but our industry especially you know, I'll have the, you back. Huh? I'll have you back. Yeah, of course. We're, the, everyone's extremely risk averse, right? And so like, un- unless you have these, the very specific experience that you do or the, or the best relationship with someone to win a project is extremely difficult. And so you're not seeing as many situations where young talent are given a chance. Mm. And so we're Because doing you're that. going brand first, you know, you're well, allowing... Your, your, your brand. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Acres brand. Yeah. Like that, that it's you can, they'll trust the director that under other circumstances they wouldn't give the job to, is what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Because I'm, I'm there, our brand's there, you know, like, we've done these things, like, we've, you know, created effective work for people mm-hmm. at that point. So Yeah. Yeah. To get back to something that you brought up earlier, so that you're now seeing yourself more as a media strategist than an EP, because all of this stuff is growing. Yeah. You're, you, you've, you've added a few people to a roster. Yeah. Now your role is shifting again? Totally, yeah. To what? Um, well, you said media strategist, but yeah. what is that? I like How to say that because it's, <laughs> it's pretty ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> and that's by design? Yeah, I'm, I'm just a strategist through and through. You know, like when I, when I approach everything, I do it with a, with a strategic mind. Like, and, and I think the thing is, is that that's what allows us to, to, to create and sell through some of the projects that we have. My interest now is, is mostly in where things are headed. In, in terms of not just what types of content and commercial content, branded content, or even entertainment um, is headed, but also in like where the money is flowing. Um, and I think that there's a massive shift and will continue to be in the next, you know, well, forever. And we're trying to be at the forefront of that, not, not just at the forefront, but pushing the forefront of, of where that stuff is going. And what does that mean in practical terms? Like doing, like adopting VR or something? Like what does it mean in real terms? Not, yeah. You don't have to use that example. If it it's could not- be adopting VR. I don't really care about VR that much. I don't, yeah, no. But um, I think for me, it meant creating new types of storytelling that, that's inclusive of a brand or a message that is, I guess, what we like to call empowered content. Okay. Like, like my idea and interest is in a place where videos are, are drawing people in or like making them feel uh, like, like excited, you know, as opposed, to, as opposed to throwing shit at people. Like I, I strongly believe that um, television commercials, pre-roll commercials, just honestly most... They don't mo- work. Yeah. I mean, they, look, you, th- you throw something in front of someone, you know, as much as you can to get them to pay attention to it, like it works for sure. But like you draw them in, you know, like a fraction of those times, like it will work so much better. Yeah, you're you're creating a strong you're creating an actual relationship. Yeah, I mean, you know, essentially you're connecting with people and you're doing it in a way where they're not apprehensive about it. Like, you know, like a lot of what, a lot of the newer types of stories that we're telling are trying to break through the barrage of stuff that's thrown at people and pull them in and make them feel safe, safe enough to feel something and then direct that feeling towards something specific. Makes sense. And, and so I'm still trying to decipher then, because that, that's all things that you're understanding and realizing about the environment that your company is working in. But yeah. what's the actual difference between 
being the EP of that yeah. and being something else. So most of what I'm doing is creating, I'm like pitching ideas and, and pitching them just in the most random places. Like, uh, Can like, you give an example? Yeah, so we are super interested in digital episodic content. I think that what, what we knew as TV still exists and is obviously thriving, but I think that even more so like that idea of like getting value over and over and over again also exists online and people are kind of running around trying to figure it out and trying to figure out how to take those advertising dollars from brands and even from the TV side into the digital side. And so what we've started being involved in was, you know, we pitched, well, we, we got involved with um, William Morse Endeavor, who are amazing. Our agent there is fucking awesome. He kind of put it in my head that like, there's this other side of, you know, video entertainment that's worth looking at. And so I started looking at where he was pointing me to, translating that, trying to translate that into the advertising side. But first and foremost, like we pitched an original series to, um, to Wired Magazine's digital property mm-hmm. um, called Cyborg Nation. And we had also been friends with, um, with the, the guys at Reddit and Alexis Ohanian, the founder, and decided to utilize Reddit's user platform and user experience to fuel a show that would exist on Wired.com, which ended up being cross-indicated between the two platforms. So that our first original series, no, no brands included, for me was very interesting because it had a completely new way of uh, being launched and being made. Um, you know, we asked users to be a part of the casting process, um, and I felt like you know, pre-engaged them and gave them a voice in what we were doing. And I think it was a, a great success. You know, it really taught me a lot about distribution. And, yeah. And like where... Which is th- something you hadn't been involved in prior. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so from there, I was extremely interested in this whole idea of like the flow of eyeballs. Like where are people seeing things? Like why are they watching them in certain channels? Like how do you use... all this stuff that's not forcing people to watch stuff and like bring people into it, you know, or like go into an existing stream and like utilize it. And so after doing that project with Reddit, um, I had had an idea for another series. I didn't even realize what I wanted to do with it. It was all about, you know, tech CEOs because tech CEOs are super hot. Everyone wants to be one, right? They're, yeah. they're creating their own ideas and making millions and billions off of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so wild west, wild west. yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I learned to do as I was meeting with people over and over again to understand who and wh- who they were and how they made decisions was to try and understand where they're coming from. And I felt like the best way to do that was to, under- to, to, to ask them or at least get to the point where they were talking about formative moments in their life. You know, I think we're all shaped by big things that happen when we're younger or even, even older. And so I wanted to know or make a series about these moments in these tech CEOs' lives for two reasons. One, because I wanted it to humanize them mm. um, and, and create a connection. Seems to be a central theme. Totally. Oh, yeah. Um, humanize them and, and create, create a connection to people that, that look up to them as gods and realize that maybe they're, they're just human beings and, I, and that they could be just like that or I could be just like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's a, that's, I love that theme. I think it's something that I've been seeking as well or in pursuing as well with, with artists. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. In, in the past. Just because, you know, a finished product or a finished tech product, um, either art or whatever, it mystifies, but it's like it was made by a human. Yeah. 
that that's an interesting like embrace that actually don't don't make them a god make them equal and that's actually i think more that's a that's a more interesting discussion i think it totally is um and it's a, it's a more empowering discussion to- yeah completely completely yeah so is that getting off the ground it yeah it's already done um it's so basically what i did was i i already had a great relationship with reddit and i started getting into conversations with more of of, of the people that were running parts of the business and help them utilize the existing, you know, massive amounts of viewership or, you know, site visitors that they had and translate that into monetizing their videos uh, through brands. Mm. So we took this series that I created, um, responded to a, a RFP from Google, um, Google Cloud Platform, and basically integrated the series into their 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 brand initiative and also into the uh, website through the the same way that we had with the cyborg nation program and then sold it to google um beat out all the other responders you know like buzzfeed new york times all that stuff and made this series called formative which i think just wrapped up like last month or two months ago something like that cool yeah i mean just to wrap up like is this a, more where you want to head in the future, or do, are you not sure? Or um, is it is it more that it's got to be more than one thing? Yeah, it's it's like everything, man. I want. Yeah, I, want I saw that coming. I want all of it. Like I've been doing a lot more politics stuff, which I think is amazing because it's a place where I learn a lot. Um, but honestly, I want to get into every industry possible so that I can learn as much as possible about how they're communicating mm. and then bring that back into acres. Because I think that the way that we grow and become better is by having the most experience possible. You know, all of my team has been thrown into like politics, entertainment, TV, commercials, health, business, or no, uh, uh, finance, you know, all those places. And I want to continue to grow in all facets of every one of those industries. I don't know, especially in the, the social impact and, and honestly political side of stuff, personally. Um, well, that's where you get in your, like you said, actual impact. Yeah, I mean, when you can see the direct results of your work, like, you know, it's one thing to see views and... Uh, yeah, nothing more direct than, than winning an election. Yeah, I also realized, at least from a purely, you know, PR standpoint that the spots that we make on political campaigns people remember more than most any consumer ad that you'll ever see um, well you're pl- you're talking about things that like matter at the highest level yeah like, we're talking about what our society is and how it affects each and every one of us and how it affects our families and our kids and I mean though it's really it's a heady discussion more so than you know selling a vacuum yeah oh yeah I mean you know there's there's Definitely interesting things about selling vacuums. Yeah, no knock to, you know, look, if Oracle wants to, like, do something, I'm interested. Yeah, of course. But at the end of the day, I don't get that much personal uh, gratification out of I understand that. I, I think a lot of people would understand that remark. Totally. I, you know, I think these days I'm more and more fueled by looking at watching the news and, like, you know, from every end of the spectrum and looking at what's happening and, you know, feeling a little anxious and unsure and using that to actually go out and do something about it. So, you know, yeah. whether it's like working on education, you know, trying to help some education nonprofits or like fuel education public policy that's being pushed through. Or like uh, I went to the Middle East to Israel and I really wanted to get involved as a result of that. And we ended up getting involved with the um, Israeli Red Cross affiliate any of those things like 
I just love looking at shit that is like the craziest thing, like our, you know, political, our current political situation. Yeah. And being like, cool, like, this is really fucking crazy. Um, and I know no one thinks they can do anything about this, but I don't give a, a fuck. Like, I'm going to go change this shit. I don't know. I love that. Like, I love looking at that stuff and being like... Feeling like you have some agency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, anywhere from being from a, a smaller level to a bigger level. Yeah, and I think it'll get bigger over time. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, well, dude, um, it's been a pleasure. Real pleasure. Yeah, same. Um, Thank you. Learned a lot about you, even though I've known you for years, <laughs> uh, which is always, which is good in the point. And um, in all seriousness, I'd love to... Like, now that we kind of have that origin story out of the way... Yeah. If we can um, have other episodes that are a bit more pointed on just industry matters and talks i think that that could be really really interesting and um yeah let's talk more about that because i think i think it's something that we could we should do sounds like a plan all right dude thanks boomtown <laughs>